Thank you for joining the Keith Pecker podcast. This is Debbie Mann, and my guest today is my friend Johanna Jamnick. Hi, Johanna. How are you? I'm great, Debbie. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks again for doing this with me. I'm excited to talk to you about your journey with breast cancer and beyond. So why don't you start telling me about when did you discover? I'm going to go back actually to when I was 22 to have a physical before I went to the States. Um, I lived in the U.S. for 10 years. And Um, the doctor found a lump in my breast, in my right breast, which is the same breast that the cancer ended up in. And I was amazed, actually, because I didn't understand about fibrocystic breasts or dense breasts at the time, which I had. And I remember doing, that was just before mammograms, because I'm 66, and doing the breast exam and not I said, how can you tell there's a lump? Because my breasts were so lumpy to begin with. Mm -hmm. So then I was surprised the doctor found a lump. Now, they they weren't too worried about it. But what that meant is that I went to see a surgeon every year then. And they would check out my breasts. Because again, this was before mammograms. And what they told me was that they would take it out when I was 30 regardless or if it started growing. When I was 29, it doubled in size. And so I had day surgery. And I was just lying there talking merrily to the surgeon with my arm up, like, you know, and not realizing that, again, no mammograms. The lump they were feeling was, I'm going to say it was like a pea size or double a bean size, but it was on top of a golf ball. Then the surgeon was very concerned, but all of a sudden he's taking out this larger lump than they expected and he had it tested right away but it was benign it was benign so that was all good but because of that every year I had a pap smear I had a physical exam uh, you know my breasts were examined and then as soon as mammograms came around I had mammograms every year and this went on until eight years ago when my doctor asked me did I want to be part of the Ontario breast screening program and I said well part of I couldn't be a part of it because every time something odd showed up or I felt a lump somewhere I'd get an ultrasound and so then I couldn't be part of the breast screening program I said well it's always come back negative yeah I'll be part of the breast screening program and so in 2015 when I had the ultrasound um, that showed the calcification that indicated cancer it was the first time in my life that had been two years between mammograms I also was not very educated about cancer um, breast cancer in particular because I thought once I was past 40 that I was going to I was scot-free. I don't know why I thought that. I think it was probably had to do with the fact that I, you know, when you're under 40, it's usually a more aggressive breast cancer. Whereas I was right in the age bracket when the most breast cancer shows up, right? Between 60 and 70. So what, what they found was calcification that indicated breast cancer. And I went for the biopsy and the surgeon said, oh, probably just you know, you have to decide whether it's a lumpectomy or a mastectomy. And it was probably just 16 routes of radiation. Don't worry about it. At the same time, I had an enlarged lymph node. And so when they did the biopsy, they also biopsied the lymph node that they weren't worried about. When I saw him with the biopsy results, it was all of a sudden, well, what he said to me was, you have the kind of cancer you don't want to have. And I thought, is there a cancer you want to have? And it was, so my cancer was HER2 positive, hormone negative, 
and it had already gone to my lymph node and the lymph node was extranodal, which meant that it gone past the lymph node. So I went from, this is no big deal, to no, you're gonna need chemo and you're gonna need way more radiation. And again, I had to decide, do I want a lumpectomy or a, or a mastectomy? And I had thought about it in the time between the biopsy and getting the results. And I thought, well, I'd only get a mastectomy if I had an aggressive form of cancer. So here I am with an aggressive form of cancer, but it had already gone past the breast. So I thought, well, there's no point. It's not going to contain it. And I have large breasts and I couldn't imagine being so lopsided. So then I choose, chose the lumpectomy which meant then that I'd had to have all this radiation. I had like 36 rounds of radiation. Okay. The other part of that was that they, they had very close margins. The tumor was behind my nipple, and I think they didn't want to take my nipple off. It was close margins, so that meant extra radiation. It was just a shock, aggressive form of breast cancer. It was just, and it had gone past my lymph node. So that, that was very much, I don't know what the word, I be, I'm going to say I did become very anxious. All of a sudden, I didn't know what the future was going to hold and on which part of the statistics I was going to land on. The other unusual part for me was that after my first chemo, I started getting fevers and not feeling well. And it came and went. My chemo, first chemo was on a Friday. So I went back on a Friday afternoon to the cancer center and my fever was gone again. But the nurse was so kind. She said, no, you're clammy. There's something wrong. We can tell. It was close to the time uh, the cancer center closed, but she had somebody come to take my blood. And, and then at the same time, my oncologist wanted to have a CT scan, but she couldn't get one until Monday. So then they, then they suggested I go to the emergency center and get into the hospital that way so that I could get a scan. Well, I had had diverticulitis six months earlier, a bad bout with it. And it had to come back. So that's the end result of that was. But I didn't get CT scan that day. I got it the next. And the surgeon came in right away and said, well, we can flush it out, but that's not going to, it'll probably come back each chemo. But then the other was to do a bowel resection. So Monday, I had a bowel resection. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I didn't know that, Johanna. Yeah, I had 12 inches of my bowel taken out. And what they found when they went in there was that I had a lot of scarring and chronic inflammation on the outside of my colon. I'd been diagnosed with possible Crohn's, possible colitis. I had diagnosis of uh, irritable bowel syndrome. And realizing that all this had to do with this inflammation. And it was also under the webbing that holds our intestines in place. So it wasn't showing up on blood work either. But I thought if it weren't for cancer, they would have never found it. Two weeks later, I was back at chemo. It didn't give me much of a break. Um, wow, that was fast. Yeah. And at the same time, they were concerned. They left the bottom of my incision open. So I had to have you know, nurses come every day and pack it and clean it out and that sort of thing because they wanted it to heal from the inside out. So that, that was sort of a really fun part of that. Oh, <laughs> but, my gosh. Um, yeah, this thing, you know, it has helped my digestion. So for me, that was a little unusual part of the journey. But it's not unusual for latent infections to come out after um, your first chemo. Oh. So it, you know, so people do have some kind of inflammation in their body. And after the first chemo, it'll manifest itself. 
because okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, because again, your whole immune system's being compromised. So you didn't get any more bouts of IBS or any any fevers or anything after the operation and no. with your chemo treatments. No. Oh, that's good. I did really well afterwards. So how many chemo treatments did you have? I had eight. So it was four of the AC and four of the Taxol and Herceptin. And then I had the Herceptin for a year, a whole year. And were there any other challenges you found through chemo? (laughs) I guess that's a loaded question, right? Well, for me in particular, it was, I've always been very sensitive to any medication and I always make doctors aware of that. I I get all the side effects that are at the bottom of the list or aren't even on the list. And so on AC, I started getting um, hand foot syndrome. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and when I, when I showed Dr. the oncologist, my balance was already compromised on the AC. I think this was like after two ACs. So she said, this was such a rare side effect. They don't even mention it um, of the AC. Well, for Taxol, hand foot syndrome and neuropathy is a known side effect. So I was already compromised when I went into the Taxol. And so she put me on gabapentin right away to help to mitigate the side effects. After my first Taxol, my fingers swelled and were so painful that I couldn't even lift the toilet seat. Like I couldn't do anything. I couldn't touch anything. It was, it was, it was awful. <laughs> that was awful. But it didn't last, you know, I think with the gabapentin and as the drug wore off in my system, it got better. But as a result, I still have neuropathy in my feet five years after the fact. Very slowly, incrementally is getting better, but it's still there. It's just a, a sort of a reality of my life. And I've, I've worked very, very hard at regaining my balance. You just get yeah. used to it. Yeah. Part of your life. I do remember you had a bit of a challenge with Herceptin. Yes, I was getting all kinds of weird side effects. The one thing I noticed right away was after I got it, I felt like I was walking on wooden legs. So it worsened my neuropathy, which, you know, a lot of the nurses said, no, 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 that can't be a side effect. But it is a known side effect of Herceptin, actually. And then I was getting various... Shoulder pain, chest pain, trouble breathing, fevers. I can't even remember now. It was just weird. And they weren't predictable and they weren't um, consistent. So it wasn't like, okay, on day two after her step in that, I can expect this to happen. I just never knew what would. And I got to the point where I I asked my oncologist, I said, you know, I was really fed up with it. Uh, I was working back at work at the time. And I said, is there any way we can stop this? And so I I stopped two treatments short of the full dosage. So did you not have problems with your eyes as well? You know what? (laughs) You know, I did. Oh, yes. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, that's okay. I, but I think that was when I was still in chemo. I got ocular migraine and I had never had ocular migraines and ocular migraines are weird things. So I'm legally blind in my right eye 
And then it's like, I would get this big colorful floater in my left eye. So I couldn't see. Um, I didn't get any headaches with it, which, you know, can happen with ocular migraines. No, it's just this big floater. Again, I was told this has nothing to do with chemo. Thinking, well, I never got these before. And it was my, I, oh, that's right. And my eyesight really went. Yeah. Um, got a lot worse. Yes. So I had to go. Um, so my, the oncologist sent me to my optometrist right away. And so he explained that this was an ocular migraine. And yes, I had to get new glasses that actually changed my vision. You oh, forgot wow. that, Deb. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so you finished, you finished your treatment? Well, I think I, I do need to talk about radiation. Because oh, yeah. I, okay. That was a very difficult part. And, and that's for, for a multitude of reasons. Radi they told me radiation was going to be a piece of cake after chemo. They had trouble, because I have large breasts, they wanted to do a harness to keep the breast in place. Okay. So it was like a webbing. It's a webbing that they put around your neck. They have so many minutes to do it, and then it gets sperm or something. The pillow that you put your arms into, you know, they yeah. get the air right? It just wasn't working. And after about 10 minutes of my arms being up like this, they started, it started being very painful. The initial when they set this up, I was there for an hour and I was ready to cry and scream because I was in so much pain. And then I, um, the first radiation treatment, they tried to use the harness. And again, after half an hour, she said to me, do you want to um, take a break and come back. And I said, if I get off the table, I am not coming back, <laughs> you know, just finish, right? So that first time was also an hour. And then, you know, like it was supposed to be 15 minutes in and out. I think it was, I was, I think I had three weeks of radiation before it went down to 20 minutes for me. So it was always an ordeal. It was always an ordeal. And I, I, have, I have a lot of abuse in my background, so childhood abuse. So for me to be immobilized on a table with a big machine overhead in the darkness was like, I had, it was, I had to do everything I could just to relax and to stay in the moment and, and not. So... I'm going to say that radiation was very traumatic for me. And for that reason, um, the pain, the long, the length of time it took to set me up and all those other things. And because I had 36 doses of it. So over a month, it was like six weeks worth of radiation. So I was very grateful when that was over. And, I, and the nurses were so good, but you know, I, I really resented being gaslighted and being told more than once that my symptoms weren't because of chemo or this was going to be easy or, you know, it's like, no, everybody, like you said, everybody's different. And, you know, if there's any nurses listening out there, it's like, listen to the client. Like, you know, there, there is no cookie cutter way of doing this. And I mean, they're marvelous nurses. And I remember one in particular, like she just, she noticed my distress, right? And, and she made a point of having in-depth conversation with me. 
you know, more than one was like that, which balanced out the ones that weren't like that, right? That were just doing their job and trying to be flippant about what was going on here. Not flippant, but you know what I mean? Like, I think they were, you know, they try to comfort you or say this isn't going to be hard, but they don't know that, right? Well, you know, I'm sure their experience is the normal. It's not uncomfortable, but there's always those of us where it is. Yeah. And they're doing, again, they're looking at the norm as opposed to the individual, like the statistically. Yeah. Yeah. It's your in and out in 15 minutes. Well, no. Statistically, I should have been able to do four taxol. Yes, exactly. Well, I was just so grateful that I had an oncologist who was a really good listener. Like, I appreciated, and my radiation oncologist, too. They were really good. I felt heard by them. Good. You know, that I, I didn't, have, didn't feel like I had to make an issue of anything, right? And that's one of the things I really appreciated about the group at Hope Spring, the cancer support group was how you were told you need to advocate for yourself right and and that it normalized i don't know if that's the word but you know other people were going through difficult things too and and it was okay if you didn't get the right answer from this doctor to go ask for another to and that has stayed with me because i think it has really helped me to in my approach now in life as well right it's okay to ask for a second opinion. It's okay to advocate for yourself. And you have to, right? It's just, uh, it's a good way of taking care of yourself. Yeah, and sadly, it's come at the last part of our life, not the early part, right? (laughs) I mean, and I, yeah, I mean, not that we're dying, but well, you know, um, but we've had cancer, so it just kind of, you don't take things as for granted as you normally do. No. Yeah. So in your radiation, did you have any physical? Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> uh, my, my skin completely broke down. Yeah, now it took, did it take three, it was about halfway through when my skin broke down. And what I mean is I lost all the skin under my breast. Oh my God. I got a prescription for this special cream. Because I was putting on the cream you were supposed to the oxal or something. And I, I was just amazed because I could tell the difference from morning to night, how my skin recovered through that. So it, it did, that took, where I couldn't wear a bra for a long while afterwards to, for, to heal. But that little miracle cream that I got was, um, now I, I'd been told to expect that to some degree, you know, that, that my skin would break down. And, and another way, like I, I have not had to worry about lymphedema. By that time it was warmer. So I just remember that, like to keep, leave my breasts uncovered was the solution. And well, I, I lived by myself, it was warmer. I was in, the, in a condo, I mean, I'm in a condo. So that was something I could do, like, you know, walk around uncovered. <laughs> <laughs> You got to do what you got to do. I mean, (laughs) and, and Hope Springs, you, that's where I met you at Hope Springs, which is the local cancer support center. And uh, that group was amazing. Hope Springs from beginning to end was, 
uh, when I was diagnosed with cancer, there was nobody in my life that had cancer or had had cancer. And it's not like I didn't know people with cancer. I, I volunteered with Hospice of Waterloo Region. Several of my clients died of cancer. There's been other cancer in my life, but not somebody my age that had gone through breast cancer. And I realize now how little I knew, like there's umpteen types of breast cancer and they're treated differently. You know, some are it's just like my sister, who is, my sister was diagnosed nine months after I was, and she had a mastectomy and nothing else. She had no chemo, no radiation. It's a very, very different treatment. Really? Yeah. That's what I'm discovering. You know, it's interesting doing this podcast because everybody has such a different story, which I think is interesting and yeah. educational and fun because we do have a bit of a warped sense of humor around our, our oh, illness. Yeah. <laughs> well, when I found out, so I had the blue dye and I was told I would have, my breast would be blue for a few Month, I think it lasted almost a year actually, the, the blueness, but I, the tint. But I started journaling and writing as for me a, a valve, a yeah. safety kind of thing. And I, I started writing about in the land of the blue nipple. That was my, that was my little um, thing. And, and, I, and I actually did a sort of allegorical story about that. And Hope Spring published it in there when they were still doing newsletters in those days. They published it in their annual report. But yeah, like I, I just found Hope Spring amazing because, you know, be able to talk to their counselor. I was just falling apart. I don't have family support as such. So, you know, and at that point, I just realized now that cancer has doubled my friendship circle because of all these wonderful women I have met, dragon boating and through Hope Spring. And there's connection there that is just on a totally different level than my other friendships because we share knowledge of, of a life-threatening illness and what that means and how that changes you to go through this trauma. Yeah, it has been an emotional lifesaver for me. It mm -hmm. has really helped me in my journey and post-journey as well. Yeah, and I think I learned a lot, especially in that Hope Spring support group, I learned a lot of coping mechanisms that I'm so grateful for because they apply to all kinds of things in your life, right? Exactly. Don't shit on yourself. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, you know, how easy it is to talk negatively to yourself. And I thought I would never talk like that right to another friend of mine, <laughs> especially going through something like this. I know. It's, there's a, there was a lot of great life skills that we learned, but a lot of great tips and techniques that too. And nothing that you'd really learn in the hospital. <laughs> no, no. Well, that's just it. I, so I had to go to eMERGE after when I was sick, after the first chemo. At that point in time, the, even though the cancer center is part of the hospital, they weren't sharing records. Uh, so it's like yes. I had to go through the whole thing. And then I had a port at that time already. So after surgery, you're on IV. I have very small veins. The IV would never stay in more than a day before they'd have to find a new spot, right? And I was in the hospital for six days. So, and then I found out afterwards that they could have used my port to draw blood, 
to give me my IV, the drugs that I needed. And they didn't ask you if you had one? No. And they would have had to ask an oncology nurse to come over and access it. And I thought, and it, it annoyed me because I thought, why aren't they communicating? This is the same hospital. I remember one of the tips that we had, I think it was at the hospital that I learned this, to make a list of all your appointments, your treatment, everything, like to keep a cat, yes. to keep a journal, to keep a, a date journal of everything that's happened to you. Because I ended up going into hospital with a fever of 101. And I had that piece of paper with me because you're right. It didn't show up when they keyed me in. And yeah. I just handed her my medication, like blah, 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 yeah. which yeah. relieved me from trying to remember it because to be honest, chemo brain is a real thing. Yeah. You know, I don't know. What do you do? That's again, one of those other tips and techniques that you just learn and yeah. that help you in many different ways. Well, you know what else I want to talk about is dragon yes. boat. Yes, I want you to talk about dragon boat. Oh, because I hadn't finished my Herceptin yet. So I had, I'm trying to think now, I, I finished my um, radiation in March. And so dragon boating started in May. This was just before I went back to work. But I saw, like, Wellfit was another godsend for me. Like, this was another place of women who were... Do you just oh, want well to mention fit. what Wellfit is? Yes, sure. So WellFit is a exercise program for um, cancer patients done by the kinesiology department at the University of Waterloo. And the first, is it six weeks? Yeah. Or it is free. So you need to be recommended by your oncologist and then you are sent there uh, six weeks. After that, if you keep going on the program, it is, um, you pay for it. But it's like having a personal trainer. <laughs> they do programs just for you. There's a comprehensive assessment before they even give you any exercises. So when I started the program and I, the first time I went in, I burst into tears because there were two women on the treadmills that had no hair. You know, and this sounds weird, but, you know, going to chemo suite a lot, you know, women were wearing scarves and they were wearing wigs. So you didn't really see women with bald heads. And at that point I was bald. And you know, to walk in to a room where there were women that were unashamedly bald, just, it was like, whoa, I have found my tribe, you know? <laughs> it was just that feeling. And I have, and I made last, and I have made lasting friendships at WellFit. So that, and so that is where I saw the sign for dragon boating. And right away I went, yes. And so I have to tell you a little story here. Years ago, I went whitewater rafting, and it was part of a work activity, actually. And, you know, my boss's son and daughter said, oh, piece of cake. It was on the Ottawa River. And we went, and we went the first boat to leave. So we watched the other boats leave. And I watched on the first rapid as the steers person at the back was flipped right under the water as they went over this rapid. And my heart started going, whoa, 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 whoa. I was just, and so we went through this rapid. And after each rapid, the, the guy at the back would say, is everyone okay? And we had to give the thumbs up. I said, I want to get off. <laughs> <laughs> and he said to me, you did, I was very close to the back. Like I was second for the back. And he said to me, you did really well. And that was the worst rapid. 
So let's try, you know, keep going if you still want to get off. Well, we kept going. Afterwards, I, you know, that was the rapid they film and take pictures of. And what I realized that the, the woman, the, couple, uh, the two young women behind me, they totally stopped paddling during that rapid. Whereas my salvation was, straight, straight. <laughs> I yelled at myself, horse. Like I was putting all that, all my fear and anxiety into those strokes, right? And at lunchtime, people were sliding down this rock slide. And I was sitting on this, on this, in the sunshine, just hugging my knees because I was still shaking. Like I just, I am not an adrenaline junkie. Just let's make it clear. I don't like, I do not downhill ski. I do not do roller coasters, right? And I'm doing whitewater rafting. Well, after that, the adrenaline high kicked in because I ended up steering the boat, Deb. <laughs> oh my God. I, you know, I was, after, I was fearless. And then for three days afterwards, I had no fear. Like I was on an adrenaline high. It was just, it was something else. I thought of that with the dragon boat. For me, it was like all my anxiety about cancer and my fear went into stroke, stroke, stroke. So it was that was what got me into the, and to be able to, to exert that physical energy and to put that fear into each stroke. That was my salvation. And again, another, here was another boatload of women, all cancer survivors, but it was awesome. And again, lots of got different types of tips from learned different things from the women in the boat. You know, there's several women in our boat that have gone through cancer more than once. And for me that, oh, it was like, wow, you can really survive this and thrive. You can do well. This does not have to stop your life. I remember thinking, oh, I thought I knew how to paddle. <laughs> no, not, 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 not. And no. it's a whole body workout. I think people don't realize it's a whole body. But I love it. I love the camaraderie. I love the lightness of spirit. I love the jokes. It has been wonderful. So talk about going to Italy. Oh, that was absolutely awesome. International breast cancer survivors from all over the world. I don't know what I expected, but when we did that pink parade, so the right before the regatta started, all the teams lined up in Florence, in front of the Pitti Palace, alphabetically by country and then by team. And, you know, just to be, like there were over 3,000 women there. I was speechless. I'm going to say I was just plain speechless. It was like, I felt so alone when I was diagnosed. And there was so much I didn't know. And all of a sudden, I'm here with this group of women, all dragon boaters, all breast cancer survivors. Like, it made me cry. It was just overwhelming to know, like, this was such an affirmation of life after cancer. And then to go through the regatta and to have women in wheelchairs and crutches that were still paddling. I thought, yeah, you can do this. You can do, you know. People making it happen for the women that couldn't, that weren't so mobile or, you know, to me, it's, it's indescribable. <laughs> it really is. And this year, because of COVID-19, we don't get to practice. And when I realized that we weren't going to have a season, that got me really down. I could do with a lot, without a lot of things, but I felt like this, no, you know. And, you know, there's, there's when we get it together in the boat, when it happens, well, you know, talking about Florence, right? Bronwyn couldn't be in the boat with us, but she would run along the Arno 
And when we won our first race, uh, we got out and she started talking and she couldn't anymore. She burst into tears. And then she tried again and burst into And I said, you did the race plan. You did it. And it just the, you know, when it comes together, it is just so beautiful. Our working as a team, when it is that one motion, that we're one mind and one spirit, it, it's, it's an awesome thing. Making me cry. <laughs> uh, when there's things you cannot do, but you can do this. I've never been an athletic person. At all. I, I've hiked, but not, I didn't go to the gym. I didn't do those kind of things, but dragon boating, yep, I, I, I can't live without it. <laughs> I know. I hope we can get back to it next year. Yeah. Is there anything I missed, Johanna? So other than dragon boating, have you been involved with anything else? The other thing for me has been that I had a lot of cancer fatigue after treatment, and I didn't realize it when you're at home and you're not doing anything. But when I went back to work, I think I pushed myself too quickly and the wheels fell, started falling off. And, and I, I had to cut back my hours. So it really, I was just working a three day week. And that's all I could manage. Um, because if I didn't anymore, then everything else fell by the wayside. You know, like I, I didn't have a life anymore. It was just work and that. So, I, I did retire about six months early because of that. I wanted to have a life. And, mm -hmm. and, I, and I think that's still part of my story that at the time when I realized I had cancer fatigue, I did a lot of research on it because my boss has a very analytical scientific mind. And so I thought the only way I can convince him this is real is to show him some studies. So I did. I went online and I got some studies. and. Usually cancer fatigue lasts, for the majority of cancer patients, it lasts as long as treatment lasted. So, you know, that depends whether it was nine months, 15 months, whatever it is. And that there's a significant group where it'll last up to five years. And for another group, it'll last 10 years. And for some, it never goes away. So there's no way of knowing what category I fall into. But for me, it was obvious that it has been obvious that I'm not in the as long as treatment lasts group. And I'm now past the five years. I passed five years uh, in July. And I'm going to say, I think it's still there. You know, it's hard. It's harder to tell when you're retired and don't have the regular type. But I, I'm going to say, yeah, you know, I, I have to be careful. But that has taught me a lot, too. One way of dealing with cancer fatigue is, is to do something in short increments of time and then rest, right? So you do something for 20 minutes and then rest for half an hour or so, and then do something for 20 minutes and then rest. So just having learned that skill has helped me get through a lot of things, including now with a broken ankle, because anything I do takes a tremendous amount of energy. So I just say to myself, okay, getting dressed, that is a big chunk of energy right there. So rest. That's another life skill that is applies to all kinds of things beyond cancer there's so much you learned through this journey and yeah. and then what do you do with it well you know one of my friends asked me at my five-year anniversary my non-cancer friend she asked me what i was taking with me into the next five years that i learned from the last five years and i thought that was a really interesting question and i 
friend who's going the identical cancer that I have, and she's just finishing treatment now, we spent two hours talking about that. And, and I thought that it was a really interesting question. It made me think about it. And one of the things I realized is that I don't, maybe one way of putting it is I don't sweat the small stuff. I don't waste energy on things that aren't important anymore. And part of that has to do with my, in my relationships as well. I, I don't invest energy in relationships that aren't supportive, that don't go anywhere anymore. Or being nice just for the sake of being nice. Like, you know, I'm not the same. I, I'm a people pleaser. And that has changed to a great degree. It's like, no, I need to take care of myself first, which was not something that was in my vocabulary as such before, before this. So that, that just made me think about, yeah, this has really changed. And I think realizing that some people can deal with this and some can't. And it just, it's not like you're going to change them. So it's just, I have to let that go. Go with the ones that can deal with it. So there, were, there were stuff like that that came out that I found, yeah, that has been a significant shift. And then I realized with COVID that having gone through cancer, like we had to be so careful about not catching something while we were going through chemo. So that awareness of being in crowds or washing your hands, like that was all there. I think cancer treatment, it, it, your life shrinks. It very, becomes very limited in what you can do. Some people manage a lot more like you worked your way through, which I can't imagine. Like I was told right at the beginning, I, there was no way I could work through treatments. So I, I had to set that up. I lost my train of thought. <laughs> that's, that's the beauty about the aging process. <laughs> it's gone (laughs) well Johanna thank you so much for doing this with me I really appreciate it your story is wonderful and inspiring too because again a, a different story than what I've heard and I love your spirit and I love your attitude that you're gonna do whatever you gotta do to to get to the other side well thanks so much thanks for being my friend thanks for being doing this podcast Oh, glad to do it, Deb. And I'm glad you're doing this. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to the listeners. This is Keep Your Pecker Up Podcast. And hit subscribe to find it when more come. Thank you. Bye.